0: Welcome to Money-Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I tell people every week as we start this show, it's time to stop reading other people's success stories and actually start writing your own. A lot of people are held back. I always tell people, you're here by gifts, you're here by passions. I tell people to leave with their gifts and don't let their age, especially their age, friends, family, or coworkers, stop you from planning or living your dream. My interviews I bring on Money making Conversations you might see uh, with celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and what I like to call industry decision makers. My next guest is uh, Craig Melvin. He's the co-host of the Today Show and the author of the book, Pops, Learning to Be a Son and a Father. You may know Craig, he's an award-winning news anchor, as I said earlier on the Today Show. You also have seen him on MSNBC Live and the host of Dateline. He's on the show discussed his book, Pops, Learning to Be a Son and a Father. It's the story of all the father figures in Craig's life, and that includes inspiring men from his program or his series called Dad's Got This series on NBC, NBC News Today. These experiences and encounters have shaped Craig's understanding of his own role as a dad, and I'm sure I can be related, we'll have a nice conversation since Father's Day has recently passed. He has two young children. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, my man, Craig Milvan. How you doing, Craig? Well, Sean, I'm well. I'm well. Thank you so much for uh, for having me. Uh, I always enjoy your conversation, so i like to be a part of one. Thank you, my man. Uh, Southern boy, South Carolina, okay? There you go. You know, uh, I, I, you know when, I, when I see people on TV and you're so articulate, you're, there are no y'alls, there are no accents, Hi a man come straight out of Columbia? And I know Columbia because Steve Harvey and I used to go down a lot performing at the Town Center, selling that place out all the time. So I'm very familiar with South Carolina, Charleston, that whole Low Country. There's no Low Country in your tone. What's going on here? How you how you break that Low Country accent? Low Country accent. Well, it's funny because I didn't.
1: I never. I never had it. My mom. Uh, you'll appreciate this uh, growing up in Houston, mm-hmm. uh, the way that you grew up. My mom grew up in the projects mm-hmm. and you know, first in the family to go to college and first in the family to get a graduate degree. Mm-hmm. So when we came along, she wanted to expose us to, to things and places that she had not been exposed to. Right. And, and consequently, I think I was probably 14 or 15 and she had us uh, take part in these oratorical contests, right? Um, and and that was was kind of how it started. So I, 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 took, I took some public speaking classes, and then these oratorical contests. And then the next thing you knew, I had what they what they like to call in the business a uh, a nondescript dialect. <laughs> You can't really tell uh, based on listening to me uh, where I'm from. So it's, yeah. it's a blessing now. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, it was always he's, he's talking white. He Absolutely, talks, he talks like a he talks like a white boy. Uh, yeah. um, so it's you know it's it, it was a curse. Now it's a
0: blessing. Well, you know it's interesting because uh, I knew in my middle school. Yeah, I remember my teacher used to always ask me to read. Used to always ask me to read. And you know, people talk about bullying, and, and you know, when you people talk about. They call you snowflake. That was a oh, form of bully, and then so it's it's popularized now because people are willing to talk about it. But we all grew up in some form of physical or mental abuse from high school kids or people in the neighborhood. And my, I remember this 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 girl. She made such a big deal that I was always asked to read. That it, it almost I have to say traumatized me because I, I I went exactly the opposite. I wanted to talk. I wanted to say ain't. I wanted to have. I wanted to slur my words. I wanted to fit in. And yeah. so, with you, I, I bring that story up because you talk about it because you was hit with it. You was hit, you know, talking why did you want to act? white, you you calling you snowflake? What kept you focused? What kept you from from veering off like I veered off? I veered off, and I said, hey man, I want to fit in and not be me. You
1: know, I think it was, um, and I write about it in the book. My mother, my mother really was shy. I mean, she um, she she kept us on the straight and narrow at the time. Uh, we we resented the strictness. I mean, my mom, she knew all of our friends. Right. <laughs> she knew all of the parents. Uh, we weren't allowed to stay out past, you know, during the week, maybe mm-hmm. nine o'clock, maybe mm-hmm. on the weekends when kids were going to parties and having fun. I was doing oratorical contests and <laughs> church activities. And uh, I went to, in high school, I think I probably went to maybe three high school football games on Friday night. I just... I didn't I grew up on a very tight leash. Right. Um, and, and part of it was my mother overcompensating for, for my father not being the kind of dad that he should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of it was mom knew she knew back then, I think, kind of mm-hmm. what it took. She was a school teacher. Then she went into ad- administration. She knew what it took um, to to shape and mold uh, young black boys, especially. Right. And and that was it. Had it not been for her, had I grown up in, in another
0: house? We wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Well, you know, in writing your book, you know, the book we're talking about, talking to interviewing Craig Melvin, his book, Pops, Learning to Be a Son and a Father. Is it because of the fact that your father wasn't there, that she maybe overcompensated and wanted to make sure you didn't, you had a better life or you pursued the options, even though I knew she went to college, and I think yeah. at the age of 22 is when she became pregnant with you? Mm-hmm. But talk about that in the middle of because as we talk about trying to shape you because of the fact that you've been shaped by a lot of people, especially the stories. We're going to talk about the, the prison incident when you was out of Camp Grace, how that really kind of like started you in this direction of humanizing all men, especially men who are incarcerated. Talk about your mom and her role versus your dad role, because you mentioned it just a little bit. But yeah. that centers around us getting into the story and your father changing his life at the age of 67.
1: So mom yeah mom, mom, mom had to play the role of mom and dad uh for a, the better part of my childhood right. um it was it was it was a role that she was you know she was fortunately well prepared for it because uh, she ended up she had to take care of her three younger siblings um when she was in college and her father uh skipped out on the family ended mm-hmm. up um, essentially dying on the streets in squalor um but no a hey, mom because my father was not physically uh, present as often as I would have liked, and my younger brother would have liked, and my older brother as well, mom stepped in to, to fill the gap. She filled the she filled the void, and not just not just being present in the sense of of uh, 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 little league games or soccer games or or concerts. Not just physically present, but 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 emotionally present, right? Uh, spiritually present. Right. I mean, the, the relationship that I have. Uh, with God is because of, of my mother's relationship mm-hmm. uh, with, with God. So it, it was um, it was divine intervention. You know, had I had any other mother, it, things would not have, have gone um, the, the way that they did. But, you know, it's, it's also, and I write about in the book, as you know, and mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate the fact that you read the book. You'd be surprised how often you talk to people about books <laughs> and they haven't read word one. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I can tell you read the whole thing. And I write about in the book, my father, I asked him during the course of my, my interviews with him for the book. I said, Pops, what was the most money you ever wasted? Mm-hmm. Without missing a beat. He said it was about 1500 dollars back in 1986. Mm-hmm. I said, Well, that was a lot of money back then. What'd you spend that money on? Right. He said, That's how much, that's how much it cost to put my daddy in the ground. Mm-hmm. And in, in in that moment, I realized. Um, that while I had been frustrated by the lack of relationship I had with my dad, it was exponentially better than the relationship he had with his own father. Right, He didn't even know who his dad was until he was almost a teenager. So it, it, was, it was wholly unrealistic of me to expect him to be the kind of dad that I had, had come to, to, to idolize. He, he couldn't be it because he hadn't seen it. And you can't be something. It, or scratch that it's really hard to be something
0: yes if, if if you if you haven't seen it if you haven't been exposed to it so that's what my dad was up against well you know when i when i read the book you know um you know i heard shotgun house Okay, I, I grew up in I was born in a shotgun house, two-bedroom shotgun house. A lot of people, if you listen to shotgun house, open to the front door, shoot the out, shotgun out the, through the, go out the front back door, don't hit anything. That's a shotgun house, okay? No. Uh, you, you reference pig feet. Grew up with pig feet, my man. Hey, I oh, wouldn't man. touch them now, Greg. I wouldn't touch them not. <laughs> But oh, oh. But pig feet were, were, were part of my lifestyle. And so that's the Southern. I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm from the South. It was, it was a lifestyle that was normal to me, but it was also a community community. community lifestyle, of people taking care of each other. And that was really important. Not only your dad, even though there were some missteps, there were still people there to take care of him, you know, to make sure he was focused, to shout at him. As he became an adult, there were people in the community. That's really important in this book that no matter what, there's some form of family tied to your story and the people in your life. Talk about that.
1: You know, it's a it's it's funny because long before uh, people started talking about it taking a village mm-hmm. uh, to 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 rear a child, I, I had a village. We you know, it wasn't called that back back in the '80s in South Carolina, back in the '80s and '90s when I grew up. But I I, I had a village, and 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 yes, there were uh, a number of men um, who played the role of dad along the way. My uncle James, my uncle Jake, my uncle Frank. Um, but th- there were also a lot of women that, that, that played the part as well. I, I was disciplined and I think that's the politically correct term. <laughs> and, uh, I was, I was disciplined by more women growing up than, than men, whether it was my mom or, or one of my aunts or my grandma. I spent a lot of time with mm-hmm. my two grandmothers growing up mm-hmm. and, and they really, uh, shaped me in myriad ways that I didn't fully appreciate until I was older. Right. Uh, But, and then after that, I had coaches along the way. I always, God always blessed me with, with, with people along the road. Right. Uh, that, that gave me a little part of, of something that I was, I was able to take and build on. Right. It's difficult for young black men, especially it's, it's difficult to, to learn how to carry yourself in this world. Um, with, without examples of it. And, and I, I had lots of examples, thankfully, along the way. But the reality is, as you know, Sean, a lot of kids don't have that. A right. lot of kids don't. They just, you know, through no fault of their own, mind you, mm-hmm. they, 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 they don't have a, a mother or a father or an uncle or an aunt mm-hmm. to take their hand uh, on this journey of life. And so they end up finding role models uh, that, that should not be held up. But that should right. not be on a battle still, and right. they begin to to emulate them.
0: You know the the thing I really like about your book is that sometimes, uh, I because I my father was a truck driver, you know, so you know when he wasn't driving trucks, you know, he was uh he was he wasn't really connected to me. I can I can tell you. He was my father. I can tell you that. My mom was there for me. My mom pushed me. My mom always felt that I could be somebody special in life. Uh, when your father showed up for your ball game, that, that memory, you don't know if you got a hit a home run or, you, or got or got struck out every time you went up the bat. But you remember that moment. And then when your mom rescued you when you thought uh, you had uh, entered early fatherhood, <laughs> you know, those are two moments that really i bring up those two moments, Craig, because— Despite of all the things we do in our life, there are always memories that really some haunt people, some inspire people. Your father showing up for your game and your mom I basically coming to the rescue because she did something that enabled you to relax. Talk about those two key moments of parenting. Even though your father wasn't there, that was a key parenting moment that he provided for you. That stays with you today, it probably carries into your parenting with your with your children today. And then your mom being there for you at a moment of doubt, frustration, fear. But both of them were there at different times.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're you're, you're talking about the part of my book where I, uh, I I I I almost became a teenage father. I was almost a, a statistic at the age of fourteen, mm-hmm. uh, no less. I, I made a, a a a a bad choice. I made mm-hmm. a bad choice, and you know what? I write about it because I, I wrote about it because I wanted people to understand uh, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And, 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 and I think a lot of folks can relate to this, this idea that, you know, there's that night or sometimes that day, but usually it's, it's that night where you went left, but you could have gone right. Right. Went right. You, and, and, and had you made a different decision, it would have altered the course of your life in a dramatic way. Mm-hmm. Um, that almost happened to me. I got mm-hmm. lucky, and and, and I, at that point in my life, I was I didn't have much of a relationship with my father. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was afraid of my mother, uh, deadly afraid, <laughs> so I, I couldn't talk to her about it. And, and it was a situation where you know this young lady was convinced she was pregnant, and I like I had to. I had to do something. This was not one of those situations where uh, inaction was an option. Right. And um, and I write in the book about how I went to my, my aunt. And it was my aunt that finally convinced me that I had no choice but to talk to my mother. Right. Uh, but my mom has always been, long before we started calling people fixers, my right. mom was a fixer. Like it was, It was um, that, that obviously was an extreme example, but there were so many other times in my life where I thought I was out of options, I didn't know what <laughs> yes. I was going to do, and I prayed to God and put trust in Betty Jo Melvin, and and Betty Jo Melvin always came through, and still does now, mind you, in a different way. My dad, you know, wrote about that 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 part in the book where he showed up at my little league game, and the memory stayed with me uh, because it was so rare to that point. My my dad, um, and and again now. Looking back on it, knowing what we know about addiction, about mm-hmm. it being a disease and not a weakness, mm-hmm. I understand why he wasn't there. I understand why he had walled himself off from our family and society at large. But back then, I was a kid. You right. know, I was a kid who wanted my, my my dad to to be proud of me and see me, uh, and certainly watch watch my little league games. And so when he showed up uh, that evening, and I saw him. Uh, down the third baseline there on the, on the fence. It's a, it's a memory that that stayed with me because it was so rare. That being said, now um, he's everywhere. Like I, you know, I, he was up two weeks ago. My son had a soccer game. My dad was right there with me on the sideline <laughs> um, and 30 seconds in my, my boy hadn't scored a goal all season, 30 seconds in dribble, 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 shoot, score, First goal of the game, and and me and my pops are high fiving like he had just won a green jacket at Augusta.
0: Yes, you know um, it, was, it was the book is um, an emotional book, and I would say emotional because I told people was, when I get a book like this I have to slow read it because sometimes they hit points where I go oh 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 I'm about to I'm about to go there I'm not let me finish this moment and because mm-hmm. um, I remember a, a moment with my dad um, 1992 when I uh, owned a comedy club. And my dad had never, ever been to anything I've been. And he just showed up at the comedy club and, uh, it was sold out. And I looked in the lobby and said, what you doing here, dad? He go, I come to see my son.
1: Oh, and, and he man. looked
0: around and he looked, wow, this you, this you, this you. And I went, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, cause I always said, sir to my dad. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, he said, you, he said, I'm proud of you, son. And, um, and, and like I said, this is the, because that's what the book did to me as a dad, because when you start talking about an incarceration and you talk about remember you, talk, you said earlier, right turn, left turn, those turns. I, I always say that when I was in college, you know, you, you played the a fraternity. I played Omega sci-fi and you always do stupid things. I remember the, the big brother said, we want some plants. Well, we didn't have no money. And so uh, I remember this, it was this giant open field where they had plants back in the day. And me and my lion brothers, we went and st- stole these plants, man. I mean, if you look back on it, Craig, from the freeway, you would have seen us running across this field with these plants, okay? So anybody could have went, what are those black dudes boys doing right. running with all these giant plants? Right. And I had a little Fiat uh, X19, which is a two-seater, and the truck was in the front. So I had to put the f- Plants in the front and it was blocking my windshield. So uh, all along the way, I could have stopped and stopped by the police and been incarcerated. And my life could have changed on that right turn, left turn that you were talking about earlier. You are meeting men who've done something far worse than what I've talked about, but they have made a mistake. And sometimes because they've made a mistake, we don't give them a second chance because we feel that they are unworthy of that second chance. <laughs> and then in your book, you talk about, guess what? They are fathers, too. Let's talk about that journey of of you doing a story, I think, basically changed your life, and it started with Camp Grace.
1: Yeah, it was uh, one of the most impactful stories I've ever done. Uh, There's a—and I don't even remember how we found out about this camp, but um, I was probably reading some article in in an obscure publication about this um, summer camp at a maximum security uh, prison in uh, California, Salinas State Valley Prison— is the name of the facility. And for one week, every summer, um, they bring in uh, about a dozen or so kids to basically have a a camp experience with their dads. I mean, you know, arts and crafts, and they play games and they sing songs and they do all the stuff that (laughs) you would do at a a camp. I mean, these kids are between the ages of, you know, seven or eight and and 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. And the, the guys who are part of the program have to um, exhibit good behavior for right. a full year. The, the, the camp is a it's a privilege. And um, I went out and spent some time talking to these guys. And it ended up being just a, an emotional day because right. these these are men. first of all, most of them are not going to be getting out of prison. I mean, they've some of them have, have, have been convicted of, of doing some pretty heinous things. Mm-hmm. Um but the, the two women that started the camp, um, both of their husbands were incarcerated and consequently mm-hmm. uh, weren't really a part of the, the, the child's lives. They would get the re- occasional visit, you know, on a weekend and you've got the glass. and But they weren't able to really be a part of the child's life. So they came up with this idea for a camp. And I talked to one of the guys out there and I asked him the question. I knew a lot of people were going to be asking when they watched or, or read the story. How can someone... Um, accused of some of the things these guys were accused of, how, how, in what universe do they deserve the right yes. to spend time with a with, with child? Yes. And without missing a beat, uh, he said to me, tears in his eyes, um, they might be right. I, I may not deserve it. But you know what, Craig? My kids do. Right. My, ki- my kids deserve to know their father. They didn't do anything. Uh, Wrong. They didn't make any bad choices. Uh, And his larger point, and I think this was just as valid. If we're serious about stopping uh, the the, the prison pipeline that we always talk about, Mm -hmm. uh, then then we need to make sure that kids of of incarcerated individuals have relationships with them. He spent a fair amount of his time talking to his daughter about choices making good choices not ending up where he ended up Mm -hmm. uh it's a fantastic program and it moved me it it also moved me uh because you know my grandmother and it's the first line in the book not to give away too much but you know my my grandmother uh, now when i knew her she was (laughs) yes she was going to church at church or coming home from church
0: like she (laughs) she only loved the lord yes Uh, Apparently, long before I came along... Well, the, I'll you uh, what, Craig, let's, let's just say she's a bootlegger. I don't want to give away no more than that. Just say she's a bootlegger. I don't want to give away the earlier part, okay? She's a bootlegger. <laughs> she was a bootlegger. She was <laughs> a bootlegger
1: and, um, and, and, and got a second chance. Yes, she did. And
0: had she not gotten a second chance, uh, who's to say w- whether I would be here right now, you know? But well, here's the thing I want to point out about that. Now, his grandmother was in the same jail that Martha Stewart was in. Yes. So she got how many chances has she's got, okay? But, but in the same facility now, and so so when I when I when I read the book and I'm, and and and, I'm, I'm, and it's it, like I said, it's an emotional journey because it's your story, but it's a relatable story because I remember when my younger brother was incarcerated in California, and uh, glass talking, and uh, and I was in tears, and 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 he told me he couldn't cry. He said, "I wish I, I can't cry. I can't. They can't." He said, "I can't." And my nickname's Ricky. He said, Ricky, I can't cry. Because they see me crying out here. I, I pay a price when I go back inside. Mm-hmm. And in that book, you know, the gentleman you interviewed, he said, look, he said, Thank God, I have a cell by myself. Because yep. now I can cry. And yep. so I love the fact that you were humanizing people because we we see these, we see this, we see the violent eyes, and nobody's trying to downplay that. But we have made mistakes. There are people on the other side of this that have to deal with it emotionally These are kids. And like one of them said, look, um, it's all right early on when you're playing cards and you're playing catch. But when they become teens, the conversation becomes different. Yeah. And that's what fatherhood's all about, which leads to your whole life of being a father, being connected to your dad, and now being a present-day father. Let's talk about that, Craig.
1: You know, it. it um, I. I think that. Um, I think that you can be shaped by negative examples, yes. uh, um, Just as much as you can be shaped by positive examples. In fact, I think in some instances, maybe even more so. Mm-hmm. So you know, growing up, I, I didn't know the kind of man that I wanted to be. Um, I didn't certainly know the kind of father that I wanted to be. But up until a few years ago, I knew I didn't want to be anything. Anything like my dad. Yes. Um, and 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 that was what what motivated me personally and professionally, probably to a certain extent. Now that, I, now that I'm, I'm talking about it, but uh, no, it, it's 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 funny because I have to remind my kids sometimes that I have a job, and 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 consequently, I I cannot be at their beck and call uh, day and night uh, because you know when my dad was there when we were younger, it was, it was big. Like it was a wedding or funeral or graduation or that, that little league game that I I write about that I remember because it was so weird. Dad didn't show up for stuff in part because he worked third shift at the post office, but in, in larger part, because, because of the addiction issues that he had. Mm -hmm. Um, so as a result, I've, I've gone to the other end of the spectrum. So if, you know, I'm there for soccer games and my daughter had a, a gymnastics recital last Sunday morning. And, you know, some I'm, I'm physically present as often as, and as much as I can, you know, pick, I do school, pick up and, up <laughs> and I try to do it all because, you know, my dad didn't do any of it. Now, hmm. now the problem that 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 you create when you do that, and I, it took me a while to figure this out, I've created expectations. Yes. So if, if I'm not there to like, oh, go, daddy's got to travel uh, for work. Well, Daddy, why can't you? Why, can you take a later flight? Or maybe can you go tomorrow? And I've had to say a few times. You know, that it's the job that pays for all of this. <laughs> you, know, you don't get to go to dance, or you don't get to go to soccer if Daddy's not hopping on plane. Absolutely, right? absolutely. So, so that—that's the—that's the—that's the, the unfortunate part. But they're you know they're starting to understand. But it's funny as you become a parent, how you at some point become you become the kind of, uh, for me, at least the kind of father that I used to mock. Yes. I hate it when my dad would talk about, you know, how much something costs. You yes. don't have money for this. And <laughs> and, and, we, and when we were younger, we didn't. Like, you know, he wasn't lying. Like, we knew we didn't have a lot of money. We knew we had enough. With my kids, you know, I've, I've said a few times, well, we can't afford this. And my son without missing a beat will say, well, y- yes, we can. I mean, <laughs> yes, can. And I'm like, and then you then you find yourself trying to come up with a, a new excuse. Like, uh, well, maybe we can't afford it, but that, we don't need it. You don't need that. Right, well, right,
0: right, right. You know, so it's uh It's hard. It's you know, hard. It, 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 I know we're about to wrap up, but I want to bring up a very... Um a, a, a fun moment as a parent that i i, I want to share with you because you wrote about it when your son climbed into bed and you know yeah. and then your kids when they sleep if you if you don't have kids children or if you got a very young child yeah. when they climb in the bed they forget you in bed they they kids, kids are the worst sleepers in the world especially when they get that six to ten years of age
1: they oh, the worst yeah.
0: sleepers. and so when you said that in the book you say you 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 you, you may miss that I remember when I I talked to my daughter when she was like 17. I said, hey, won't won't you hop in bed and watch a TV show? What you talking about? I said, you know. Can we not watch a TV? Can we not watch TV together? Remember, we used to go. I don't do that no more, Dad. Uh, uh-uh. uh. No, no. We're not doing that. So I would tell you this, Craig. That moment brought, brought laughter to me. It brought back memories. As your book, you know, the, the amazingly good book, "Pops: Learning to Be a Son and a Father." Man, uh, it's a great read. And, and, and like I said, it slowed me. When I said the word "slowed me," because I was becoming emotional. Because, like I said, my father was a beer drinker. My father worked hard as a truck driver. My father, like I said, was he in my life? I don't know. But did he shape me to be the man I am today? Yes, he did, because he had a role in it. And that, that role has made me to be the man I am. I like to believe I'm a good parent to my daughter, a good husband to my wife. And uh, those are the things that that the stories that you tell out of this book from the incarcerated to uh, in- individuals who raised you as a family, the community and whether teachers who shaped you as third grade teachers who shaped you as uh, as you go through life. And, and you went to school and you, you didn't want to they want to shame your uncle when you didn't pledge. cap <laughs> But it was all good, man. I, I love your book, Craig. I want to appreciate you for putting it out there, man. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. You're very good at what you do. Thank you for having me. Okay. We talk soon, man. I'm going to put this out. I got like, I got a nice little social media. I'm going to put that out there in my, my newsletter. We're going to get that out there for you. Okay, Craig? Thank you,
1: sir. Be I well, okay? It.
0: All right. Bye-bye. If you want to see or hear any of my interviews on Money Making Conversation, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host.